At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. That's uh, that's very true. Fast money does start right now, uh, Sarah. Live from the NASDAQ market site, overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan in for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk from left to right. Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grosso, Guy Adami. Tonight, one of the top strategists uh, saying that new highs are coming. And he says if his price target this year is wrong, it's because stocks go even higher than what we're talking about. He'll explain what has him so bullish. Plus, Lyft, just the first of big tech companies gearing up for its IPO. But who's the real winner of this stampede of unicorns? The answer might surprise you. Uh, but first, we're going to start with uh, stocks striking back. Six months after the bull market high, stocks are making a comeback, a continuing comeback, uh, grinding back the levels uh, since bottoming out on that December uh, 24th and 26th of last year. The S&P is now within less than 4% of its all-time highs. So two questions tonight. Is it safe to buy now, or have you already missed it? And what can you do to maybe catch on uh, to this rally. The train left the station, uh, Guy, but it, is it the Acela? Is it, if, is it going to Washington? You're, in, you're only in, uh, in Delaware or, or Baltimore? That's or, a great question. And we're glad Joe pulled into our station tonight, uh, that, by the way. Uh, nice he does. That's not written. That's not written anywhere. That's not written anywhere. That was good stuff. What do you think, though, guys? Tim with the early brown nose. I think that's fantastic. I learned that at the can't get brown. The cell is going from Penn Station in New York to Washington, D.C. You asked me where the train is right now. Yes. I happen to think the train is in Baltimore. A lot of people still think it's in the tunnel out of Grand Central Station. That's what makes markets. And, Joe, I will tell you, for the last 200 S&P points, I thought we were going to roll over and retest those lows. So, you know, I think we're a little long in the tooth. With that said, I think there are some trades that make sense. I think healthcare has worked, and I think energy continues to work. But if you're asking me to make a trade that's sort of what's going to catch up, like what's been lagging and what's going to finally catch up, ask me that question, Joe. What's, what's going to finally catch up. And what's That's been a, lagging? And what's been lagging? And what's That's been a great lagging. question. And, well, and, and can you get away from the train metaphors as well? Well, like I that. didn't bring right. us into the train metaphor, okay? I just tried to add on to the train metaphor. I think I did a nice job, by the you way, for great. the East Coast fans. Right. But what can catch up? I think AT&T. Now, that has been a lagger <laughs> since the beginning of 2017 when it was $42.5. But if you look, recently made a low of about 28 and a half on monster volume, seems to have reversed, seems to finally have gotten their act together. Yes, they probably overpaid for a couple acquisitions. And yes, everybody from now Time Warner seems to be gone. But maybe they're so far ahead of the game that it's starting to pay dividends now. You know, they got into the direct TV, direct TV deal a few years ago. I think what that's going to start to pay dividends. Well, I know no one likes to hear this, but what happens if the game is wrong and that the catch-up trades are not the place to go? And if you feel that the market's coming to an end, then the ones that have worked well, are actually going to come but AT&T, off. So. Steve, I, look, so I'm long AT&T, um, but my question to you guys, what's the catalyst now? Because ultimately, you know, we've had an opportunity to, to, to deliberate deal, no deal on Time Warner. We've had an opportunity to deliberate uh, either they have too much debt on their balance sheet. Are we in a high debt environment? Are, are rates actually squeezing? You tell me what's the catalyst. Here's the catalyst. Great question. And, Joe, you're still the host of the show. Remember that. Go so ahead. anytime you want to jump ahead. in. 
I'm tired. I already did three hours. I think interest rates are going to continue to go lower, and people are going to say, you know what, if rates are not going higher, 10-year yield around 2.6, probably headed lower than that, maybe these high-dividend players start to make sense on top of the fundamentals that might be fine. Can I just talk talk overall for a second? Sure. So we're up 20% from 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 the the December lows right now. The the notion is that the best levels of the year Mm. could already be in, number one. You've talked about, and I've kind of yanked your chain about this. Yeah. You've talked about decelerating earnings and valuations right. Right. holding back the market. Well, it hasn't held it back hasn't. at this point. Are we at a, a terminus here? See, the problem is, is that if you, feel, if you feel like we were due for a sell-off, which we have felt on this side, some have felt on that side, that we're due for a sell-off and it's overdone, when do you jump in and say, okay, that's it? It's the, last, it's the last straw, the nails in the co- coffin. I think you have to wait until Q1 earnings have decelerated, went negative, and see what the guidance is. I've waited this long. So I've missed it. I missed this last 10%. What would I you, thought there was going to be a 10% rally. I missed the last 10 What would you, would you buy if you got UNH. five? Would you buy? I mean, no, UNH. no, not what. If you got five, if you got a five pullback, are you going to be able to pull the trigger? So, so I, stay, I do stay long stocks. I believe in momentum and timing. So I still am long equities. So if you get that 5% pullback, I think if you ultimately believe that the, we're going to make new highs, you don't go for the ones that have lagged for the wrong reasons or the right reasons. You go for the large cap tax. So you're talking about the, catch up, the, the theme of this is the catch-up trade, and you're trying to give me I think you trade. have it. So the reason why I would play the catch-up trade, I would go healthcare and I would go UNH, and it's a theme that you are very well versed in. There's been political headwinds with UNH. It's been Medicare for all. It's been prescription drugs. It's been drug rebates. I think a lot of that is noise, and UNH will figure its way around that ultimately. That's a catch-up trade that I'm willing to buy. But, I mean, to me, that seems – I I get it as a catch-up trade, but it seems like there's just so many headwinds that are still out there. So in the healthcare sector, I'm not sure I want to be there if it's a catch-up trade. Why not just go with what's been working for the last 10 years? You have a Federal Reserve that's going to keep rates low, at least on the long end, or at least on the short end. I'm not so sure about the long end. So why not just go with the names that have worked? You know, go with go with something like uh, energy. That's worked really well. Why not go even down the down the chain on energy, like to rig, Transocean, one of those type of things for the offshore, seeing if oil's going to go higher. The materials, they actually don't look so bad at this point in time. I think any the playbook is we have a Fed who's going to keep rates low at two years and under. What works in that? Well, the, the two places, Joe, that I would say are catch-up trades are, are trades that, that un, un, I would argue have been catching up since really the fourth quarter and, and had underperformed much of last year. So that's, first of all, emerging markets. And if you look at the EEM or the VWO or however you want to play this at home, um, you can see that we're essentially back up, third time up against resistance, somewhere around 43.50 on EEM. It really does look like in an environment where the dollar today touched down at the 50-day again does not look like it has any gas unless the Fed gives us a different message on Wednesday, which I don't think they will. Um, I think the dollar is range bound. That's very good for the rest of the world. So talk about catch up trades. You know, we spent much of 2018 saying, how about, you know, how can the U.S. outperform but the rest your, of the world? But is your premise built on the dollar or is it about growth? Well, it's, it's, it's first of all, growth is priced to zero. So my concept is uh, I think the delta on expectations is enough that actually people are going to reassess just how bad things are or not so much in the rest of the world. You've got stimulus coming out of the Chinese central bank. You've got stimulus or at least lack of any tightening coming out of Europe. Um, if you look at the charts, actually the outperformance of the EEM versus the SPY is about 8.5%. Um, I agree with Brian also. You know, this is a reflationary environment, even though rates don't tell you that. Rates are being held down by policy. 
Energy is still the most shorted sector out there. XLE, I like Halliburton. Who the problem is, I hear you, there's just ze- there's zero growth to your point. There's zero growth. But I don't think the market has digested zero growth. See, I saw, we've had this argument. And I saw it digested. Too, right? And that's why I was bearish. I was bearish up until last week because I thought the market was going to reprice weak earnings. But what happened was the bond market priced it in. The bond market priced in the potential for a cut by the Federal Reserve. And in that environment, if the equity market is looking at that as a positive, I have to reverse my bearish call and say, you know what, I was wrong about that. The equity market right now is factoring in zero raises and maybe even a cut and quantitative tightening ending. So we're not. I don't think either one of you guys gave enough credence to how gut-wrenching the move to December 24th was. It got just about, and we're going to have Julian on in a second, but every analyst that was at 3,000 as a price target for 2018 were suddenly at 2,750. That's a P for a price I'm target. I'm not to speak for Guy, but I, but I will in, 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 that was, in the that, theme that, of this. That, 20% is uh, not good enough for, no, no, to shake out it, the complacency? Why has it got to retest But it? at that point, it doesn't have to retest. Well, for a while once, you've been saying that. But once Powell changed stance and became ultra-dovish and started talking about quantitative tightening but ending, just in t- technical, the Just sentiment-wise, we got... We waited, waited, and waited, and waited for the pullback. But and we got acted, a nasty pullback, and then when you had 20 percent, you but didn't I was like it. You didn't want it. and said we were going to rally 10 percent. Did you not watch that, on Christmas uh, wait vacation? Wait a minute. That, on the way back. That's, where, hey, that's Joe, where I was. On sentiment, though, I think, no. I think the point is positioning got so extreme. So, first of all, we have really had a, a, a once in really a market event, effectively, the V that we saw here. Uh, and it comes down to positioning. I, I would argue if you look at... AI, AAII, bull bear spreads, whatever. We're, we're actually in an environment where positioning has reaccelerated to where bulls have the upper hand. It would be um, much better if you bought with both hands at 2300 and, and didn't say I'll tell you anything. What I, what, Let's get to right? Julie. I shouldn't yeah. have been that cute after the 10% nope, you I should should have. Yeah, you shouldn't have been you that cute. And to right. think that you're good enough to, to call it with those Not limits when I sit next to you, you look even more handsome in person. Thank you. I hear this lighting is better for me. And meanwhile, Adami, <laughs> yes, the producer of Squawk Box, you haven't answered her for like six months about coming on Squawk Box. She has to get through to you here. Who's the, who, 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 Claire, Claire, just message me. Thanks for the invite, Joe. Claire, how are you? Kim, you're welcome anytime. I'm Julian, you're on all the time. Julian, let me intro, let me give you the intro you deserve. Our next guest says a, there's a major rally on the way. Uh, I can't believe you. Uh, and, and, and if he's wrong, it's only because stocks will go even higher Uh, than he thinks this year. Let's bring in Julian Emanuel, Managing Director, Chief Equity and Derivative Strategist at BTIG. What was your 2018 target uh, when when you had one? Was it 3,000? It was 3,000. Did you change it to 2750? No. No, A lot of people did. We we, we did not take the week between Christmas and New Year's (laughs) off. We sweated every moment of it, and then we came out and we said we thought the Fed was going to go to neutral. There were going to be no no more hikes, uh, and that the balance sheet would start uh, stopping the roll-off uh, in June. Obviously, that was validated to a certain extent. Now we'll see. But if you think about what you've been talking about the last five minutes or so, is this rally has been, you know, it, it probably more validated by the fact that inflation expectations have been rising in lockstep with the market. And that tells you that the cyclical bias is valid in a world where the short end is going to be held down. And actually, we think that in a lot of ways, because inflation expectations are moving up and because European data has started to beat expectations, which admittedly the bar is exceptionally low, that you could actually see a rally in longer-term rates, which is going to be great for financials here. And that'll steepen the yield curve and, and allay any recession fears that, that we still have that 
I can't believe we still talk about that every day. It's like, is it going to be this year or next year? We're, we, we hear that the, the expansions don't die of old age, but we still think that once they get long in the tooth that, it, that it's coming. I, 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 couldn't we be Australia for 25 years or no? It may not be Australia, but there's no reason to think that the 10th anniversary of the expansion coming in at mid-year that we can't get to 11. Um, you know, the fact is, you look at sort of the guts of the economy, jobless claims, lending, the ISM numbers, they're all off their extremes, but they're all we were still talking, relatively 3,000 is not that, I mean, I don't know whether it makes it worth the downside <laughs> risk from here, but what is that, 7% from where we are? I mean, that's not that bullish, Julian. It's only March. So, so look. Could you that, see 3,200? That's true. And to be perfectly honest, we're somewhat surprised ourselves at the speed of this rally. Um, you, could, you could see a number like that. Here's, here's a little bit of the math. Basically, think about it. The Fed has, by all rights, started to engineer a soft landing. Uh, that's what the, the tightening of financial conditions, then taking their foot off, off the, the rate uh, hiking mechanism has been all about. The economy looks, even though first quarter is still soft, looks like we're coming in north of 2%. That's the kind of recipe that allows multiples that at 170 or 172 dollars in terms of earnings gets you to a number like 32 or 3300. But, but Julian, I, I guess I hear you also talking about inflation in there, and I hear you talking about reflation trades. Um, if there's inflation, does, does the Fed just shake their head at that? Because because you know Steve talked about an environment where possibly people are underestimating the Fed's ability to come back into the equation, and if you see inflation. That, to me, is something that, by the way, I don't disagree with you, which is why I like these reflation trades. Well, so what's interesting is that even though you could say that the Fed has won by virtue of the fact that inflation expectations are picking up, the talk is, and we may hear them talk about it more on Wednesday, this whole averaging up in terms of inflation. Mm -hmm. You could let core PCE, which is at 1.9 now, rise above 2% for a time being. And so that's the kind of environment, you know, the, the phrase is running hot. That, that's how we get the continuation right. of the cyclical trend. Julian uh, Emanuel from BTIG, uh, thank you. And you guys have to help me with this. It says, let's trade it. Does that mean you guys are going to start talking again? Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid yeah. so. Exactly. Right. That's what if we you do. Got to say, that's you what say happens. It. We could use oh the time. God. We, I'm, I'm, we I'm only with, got so much time. We, we, we have till six, out. right? We have. Yeah, it's an hour Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> I want to tell you what. Yeah. Let's trade it. Let's trade it. Are you going to say? Well, you know what? I'm I'm with Julian on this. I think in an environment like this, I don't think the Fed's going to be hiking rates, even if we get a slight uptick in inflation, for the exact reason that Julian said. They're already laying the the foundation for inflation targeting or letting things run a little bit hot. In June, they're going to come out with a recommendation on what they should do with their policy. So now I've got a Fed that's going to let inflation go. They're not really that uh, concerned about hiking rates. They're going to keep the, the two-year and under lower. That's great for financials, as Julian said. The yield curve steepens. I, I mean, you know, unless the Fed comes in, and, they, and that is the risk. There's no question. The risk is the Fed becomes too tight, gets too crazy, then you've got a problem. But until that point, you got to Don't hurt me. You, What's what? going on? You get the last word. That's what I was oh, told. My last word is I'm thrilled you're here. Tell Claire I'm apologizing. What I mean, happened? Our, you know, all our fans at home. Well, I was away for I was away with your, the family what, it's trip. Spam. It's in we your would, spam. My, she said months. Go to spam. She said months. And then I was away have, a couple times. You don't have to come week. on. So great TV guy. Seymour would be great. He brought it up, Tim. Coming up, another wild weekend. He's just jealous that she hasn't been messaging him. Come here, another wild weekend for President Trump on Twitter, at least tweeting about everything from General Motors. 
to Google's operations in China. Plus, there were like 23 other tweets. Uh, we're going to bring you the latest details. Plus, check out the shares of pot stock Tilray flying high after reporting flying high after reporting earnings uh, from moments ago. We're going to tell you what the CEO said that has the cannabis community going crazy. We'll be right back. Oh, also later, Lyft. It's just the first. Oh, this goes on and on. First of a number of big tech unicorns planning on going public this year. But one top analyst says that the real winner of the IPO mania could surprise you. He'll be here. Much more fast money. I think this really is the end here, right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back uh, to Fast Money. It was a wild weekend for President Trump on Twitter, tweeting about 50 times in the course of just a few days, including about both General, don't answer them, about uh, (laughs) both General Motors uh, and Google. Let's go to uh, Eamon Jevers outside of the White House. Uh, for those details, uh, Eamon, what day is it? We got a long way, don't we? It's it's only Monday, Joe, it but it's Monday afternoon, so you're getting there, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. We it's, can, good see, it's good to see you working this side of the clock, Joe. Thanks, Eamon. It looks bright, <laughs> looks bright down there where you are. It's gorgeous. Is that We've a got daylight shot? savings time? Beautiful. Yeah, it is. This it is. is the actual. This is the actual White House here. Uh, it's it's the real deal. Um, so look, let's talk about these tweets, right? Because the president was on this spree of tweeting. It was about 50 tweets over the weekend. Some of them were retweets, so depending on how you count, that's tweets and retweets, a total of 50. It's just an enormous number, uh, even for this president who likes Twitter a lot. Uh, a couple of his targets for criticism were corporate executives, and those corporate executives were forced to respond. General Motors and Google, two companies that issued responses to the president. Here's the president's tweet about General Motors over the weekend. Very critical. He said he spoke to Mary Barra. He wants them uh, to reopen a particular plant in Ohio. He says he wants the uh, General Motors and the UAW, United Auto Workers, to begin talks now. He doesn't want them to wait until the fall. GM putting out a statement uh, of their own saying that any uh, resolution of the situation is going to be done between GM and UAW in the due course. And then also uh, we see this tweet about Google, the president tweeting out, Google is helping China and their military, but not the U.S., terrible. Google putting out for its part a reaction to that, suggesting that they are not, in fact, working with the Chinese military. And when you talk to aides here at the White House about these tweets today, you don't get a lot of uh, sort of backing up of the president's statements. I asked aides uh, for whatever evidence the president has that Google is working with the Chinese military, and they simply said they they couldn't provide it. I spoke to Sarah Sanders about that within the hour, and she said uh, she didn't have it. And, and and aides here don't seem like they're going to be going to a lot of effort to, to get that. They sort of say the tweets stand for themselves, and they're moving on. So um, an interesting tactic by this president. It's not something that you know traditionally Republicans have embraced, is a, the idea of a president telling companies uh, how to run their businesses. Uh, but this is a president who wants what he wants, an aide told me. Uh, and when he wants them to reopen a plan, he's going to tell them directly. And that's this president's style, Joe. Yep, you're right, uh, Eamon. Uh, thank you. We're going to get some comments from Greg. Did you start on your brackets yet, Trevor? No, 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 no. But uh, Colgate, 
is playing this I year. I saw that. I this saw that. Great. They're this excited. Is, first time since 96, so I got to get like totally up to speed on March Madness. How do, I, how do I take Duke? <laughs> Apparently March Madness is a big deal. Duke? Colgate fans don't know that because we haven't been there for a while. How do I take Duke knowing it would make Harwood happy? I can't do it. I, just, I, I don't think you I got to go, go, pick some. go with your heart or with your brain. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks, Amy. Colgate. So, yeah. <laughs> Grasso. So if you have to look at this president, what do you make of this? this president is about low regulation, low taxes, competitive business environments. So this is why he got elected, though, because this is what you this is the unpredictable nature of Donald Trump, where he throws out these tweet bombs, where it sounds like a Democratic, uh, a Democrat president. It sounds like a liberal, but he people don't know what to make of that. And this is what brought middle America in because they wanted somebody who was strong labor. So I think this works in the end for him. I'm not a fan of it. But if you look at it as the stocks, General Motors and Google both up 13% year to date. It looks like GM is basically rolling over. Google is one of these names that is always going to have a headwind, whether it's a political, a privacy issue, or whatnot. But I think that ultimately Google is a long-term play, and you're probably safe there, minus a lot of these two So, So big tech is under attack at this point in time. We've talked about it on multiple different levels. So if you're investing in this area, you want to have to have a thesis on that, whether or not it's going to impact the stock on the company in the long run, or you can try to isolate that and say, what of the tech companies out there, particularly the social media companies, are the least likely to get criticized by the president? Twitter. He uses it 50 times over the weekend. That's probably the last stock he's going to tweet about. And you know what? It's doing exactly what Facebook is doing. It's a messaging system, consolidating here. That's the way I play it. Or, or, or you ask yourself, you know, what, what, to what extent do these tweets even matter for the underlying fundamentals of the company after the, you know, the, the reality kind of settles out of the way? Um, GM, if you think about what's going on here, it's a company that recently reported. Uh, it's now trading sub six times earnings, pays you a nice dividend. They have an enormous exposure, in my view, to autonomous and EV. Uh, this partnership with Amazon and Rivian now is actually, these are drivers to get the multiple higher. But more importantly, it's a good balance sheet. And I, I understand the pressure. Uh, and I understand the pressure in terms of as it relates to the labor market and some of the political issues that the president is going after. But that has not affected. GM is not trading where it is because of pressure from the president. It's, it's trading because it is because people believe that the auto industry has not only gone through peak auto, but that these guys are under pressure for any kind of growth. In terms of Twitter, I mean, Twitter stepped on their own landmines themselves. I mean, there have been a lot of self-inflicted wounds, but I think Twitter is at a point now where they've changed the metri- metrics. They've taken their medicine. I think that stock goes higher. But GM, with the president, without the president, listen, Mary Barra, I think, is doing what she thinks is in the best interest of GM, their employees, and their shareholders. So you have to let her make the decisions. With that said, this time in 2014, General Motors was a $37.5 stock. Mm. Today, it's a $37.5 stock, and a stock market that's gone basically straight up. In an auto sales industry, it's probably been the best in the history of the United States. So if GM doesn't rally in that environment, when is it going to rally? All right, guys, thanks. Um, I yelled out about the basketball. I didn't yell at no, you. I got, I got yelled out about the basketball. That, that's a By one, who? It's a one-hour show. Oh, in your ear. How, how long would it have to be to actually talk about that? Would Three hours to, to show your yeah, ear. I, mean, I think we can squeeze All right, all right. All right, all right. I don't want to get yelled at again. Anyway, for more on President Trump's push, on General Motors and what it could mean for the company, head on over to CNBC.com. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast Money. Shut up and drive. Lyft's IPO Roadshow is in full gear. The first in a stable of tech unicorns to make its public debut. But who is the real winner of the IPO deluge? The answer might surprise you. Plus, it's been a really rough couple of days. 
Yeah, that's probably how Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg feels right about now. And as his problems pile on, are the stock's best days behind it? That and much more still ahead on Fast Money. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story. Asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lyft uh, hitting the road this week as the popular ride-sharing app gears up to make its Wall Street debut. Let's get to our very own Leslie Picker with all the details. Same as you gave me this morning. Leslie, go for it. <laughs> hey, Joe. Yeah, it was about uh, 12 hours ago that I last saw you. Uh, today is the first day, as you know, of the roadshow for the big tech IPO of 2019, the first big tech IPO of 2019, Lyft offering 30.8 million shares for $62 to $68 a piece. That implies a market cap as high as about $19 billion or roughly 10 times Lyft's 2018 sales. We followed CEO Logan Green since I last saw you, Joe, as he traveled by Lyft across Wall Street. He went to each of the three underwriters' offices to talk to their sales teams to get everyone on the same page on exactly how to market this deal to investors. Now, I'm told that the investor meetings actually kicked off this afternoon and they'll continue traveling across the country for the better part of the next two weeks. The company is aiming to price their shares on Thursday with trading on Friday. Bankers are hoping to differentiate Lyft from its larger rival, Uber, which is planning its own IPO over the next few months. Lyft says that being a pure-play consumer transport company with a strong brand should be a selling point. Same with the fact that the company is still founder-led. Today's terms showcased just how much the two founders own in the company. Green's stake is worth about $544 million, while John Zimmer, the president, owns $375 million. That's at the midpoint of the range. And combined, the two hold just shy of 50% of the voting rights in the company compared with about 5% economic rights. Now, that dual-class share structure where the co-founders have millions of Class B shares means that investors who buy into the IPO, the average investor who buys into the IPO, won't get as much of a say as those <coughs> insiders will. Joe? Yes. And it's hard to get the IPO, as we know. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, let, let's talk about uh, this, Seymour. So, 62 to 68 or whatever it is implies $18 billion, which is 
above the last round, which last was, round 15. was was around 15 and a half billion. And it's not, you're not going to be able to buy at 62 to 68. You're going to have to buy it at who knows. Yeah, you know, and, you, and I'm hearing even it? up to 22, 23 billion. And, and if you think about it, they're going to roughly get $2 billion of stock, so 10% of the company. Um, Leslie talked about some corporate governance issues, which I think investors should always be paying attention. That's alignment, and that's certainly some level of, of control over the company and where shareholders stand. But here and now and in this market environment and ahead of Uber, uh, I have to tell you, people don't care that they lost 900 or so million dollars last year on $2 billion in revenue. Uh, I think there's a scarcity value in the space. And I actually think being first to market with a digestible size IPO is something I would own. I have strong feelings on this as well. But my feelings are how to play it with individually traded stocks. But our next guest is so better versed in this, mm. then instead of listening to me, you should just go to him. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's an excellent toss. idea. Let me do yeah. that then, unless you want to... Uh, no, me not at all. Our next guest says that the real winners of the IPO boom uh, may not be the IPOs at all, but actually the exchanges, where they're going to trade. Let's bring in uh, Rich Repetto, principal at Sandler O'Neill. Uh, Rich, thanks for joining us. Um, I don't know what if I would have said this in December. Uh, but uh, what a difference a couple of months make. It, sure. It's going to be a good market for IPOs, most likely. Yeah. Why will the exchanges do so well? Yeah. Well, 10% to 12% of revenue come from IPOs or listings. So far this year, it didn't help that the SEC went on, uh, off business hours for you know, a certain time span. We've only had 15 IPOs so far this year, all to house the NASDAQ right here. Last year, we did 185 for the whole year. So that's r- roughly about 50% of the run rate of IPOs, uh, of NASDAQ's IPOs. So, you know, we can see, you know, if Lyft does well, it's just a, really a bellwether for, we think, IPOs coming out in the market. The exchange CEOs are also very excited about the pipeline of IPOs that they have. How hot could it be? I mean, everybody knows Lyft. Everybody wants Uber. I mean, what kind of, we haven't seen one of those just numbers where, you know, it's the front page of the newspaper. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, mainstream America talks about it. Is it going to be like that? Could be, right? I think it could be 80 when it opens, something like that. You know, that's what the exchanges do. They're supposed to price these fairly uh, and to get a good open. And I think what Tim says, I, you know, this isn't a scarcity value. It's the first one. Uh, it's going to hopefully lead the way. There's been, we think, some pent-up demand for venture-backed uh, IPOs. So... Uh, we think this, it could unleash it. I mean, will it be uh, one of those IPOs where, I mean, I was a stockbroker for 10 years. And, I mean, if I was really a good boy, I might get 100 shares to give to my best client on one of these things. And this was at Merrill and Hutton and places. I mean, nobody gets these things. You get 100 shares to give to your best. Is it going to be like that for this? Uh, you know, I can't tell you what the demand is going to be, but I know the exchange has really fought to get this. And you'll be surprised at what they do to offer to get companies to list on their exchange. I mean, right out here, you got the NASDAQ uh, board, billboard, you know, they'll offer. So, Rich, if they're fighting for these and you said it was 10 to 12 percent of rev when you talk about listing fees, is that a race? Are they going to meet in the middle? Because I know the the ICE, the New York Stock Exchange, has a premium to what they get for listing versus the NASDAQ. So is that, do you think that price is gonna come under pressure because they're fighting for that business, for the exchanges? Not really, because uh, the, what they're, you know, they're giving them extra marketing, again, a fixed billboard. So does that cost NASDAQ incrementally more? Probably not. But they're fighting to replace the cost of Lyft, these marketing costs that they have, that, that NASDAQ could help out. Uh, you go to an airport, and you see CNN at every airport. That's what the NYSE has to offer. 
as well as and the CNBC press, too. And CNBC. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big one right there. <laughs> and so you see that they all have offerings and they're scalable. So they're not going out and really spending this money, but they're doing it out of the sort of the infrastructure that they've already built. So right. Rich, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Rich Rapetto of Sandler O'Neill. So Guy. Yes, sir. You really believe that exchanges are the best? Yes, I do. No question about it. I mean, in the non-equities, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, if you look, year-over-year volumes continue to go higher. Terry Duffy does an amazing job. And NASDAQ trades 15 times forward. New York Stock Exchange, ICE about the same. The only exogenous risk, if it's somehow the regulation comes and puts some transaction tax on, which I don't think is going to happen. But my question to you is, when you were working at J.T. Marlin, was Vin Diesel <laughs> as good-looking in real life um, as he is in the movie? Oh, uh, the yeah. Marlin. No. And what's going what, on with what, Paratech? What were, yeah, what were those <laughs> other ones, Scott? What was the guy, the wolf guy? God almighty. No, no, I trained at Merrill. I was at all, uh, I did work at Lehman Brothers briefly. That's as close as I can get to the bucket. How did that shop, end? Yeah. Um, I was only there, I wasn't there long. I was in the uh, 1983, so nothing had happened yet. Here's my one last question because we've got a little bit of time. Do you like Uber because of all the other stuff it's got, or you like the pure play on the ride sharing, Lyft? If you're asking me if you could buy both at their IPO or sometime after the IPO, I would say Lyft is probably more interesting to me. I think Stratton Oakmont, right? That was that. Stratton Oakmont, correct. Widows and orphans. And, oh, God. Uh, is 1,000 shares good, or would 2,000 be better for you? Uh, anyway, uh, still ahead. It says, uh-oh, I'm waiting for Melissa to read this. They didn't change my name, BK. They didn't. You believe that? No. No respect. Check out the shares. Good enough to do it. All right. Check out the shares of Tilray. The stock's soaring after its earnings report. We're going to tell you what uh, has investors uh, so excited. How about First Jersey? Remember that? Mm. Uh, plus, the Boeing fallout continues. The stock down another 2% as reports that investigations of the MAX 737 jetliner could be picking up some steam in Washington, D.C. We'll bring you the latest. And there's much more fast money right after this. Welcome back uh, to Fast Money. Uh, Boeing tumbling again today. That's why the Dow didn't do as well as the other averages. Did pretty well, though. On track for its worst month in more than three years as uh, reports that both federal prosecutors and the Department of Transportation are looking into the company's development of the 737 uh, MAX airplane. And Phil LeBeau is in Chicago, another friend from uh, the early hours of the morning with the latest uh, on Boeing uh, and the fallout. Hey, Phil. Hey, Joe, let's start first off with the DOT, which is scrutinizing the relationship between Boeing uh, and the FAA. That is coming on a day when Canada's Transport Ministry has said they're going to be taking a look at the FAA approval process as they review the certification of the 737 MAX. And the relationship between Boeing and the FAA essentially focuses on the question of, was the FAA as stringent as possible, as tough as possible with Boeing as they were working with Boeing and Boeing was handling some of the self-certification within the overall certification of the 737 MAX. All of this has people saying, are we looking at an extended grounding, something that could last perhaps a month, two months, three months? Who knows? That's part of the DOT uh, scrutinization, if you will, of the FAA and Boeing. And then there is the DOJ investigation. I say investigation because we have learned that a federal grand jury has been looking into the process for the 737 MAX in terms of how it came uh, to uh, certification and the development of the 737. At least one subpoena has been issued. They are seeking to secure documents. We have heard no comment from Boeing at all. It says it's not even going to acknowledge if there is an investigation. And by the way, it also says relative to the DOT, it did not cut corners in the certification process with 
the 737 MAX. So as you take a look at shares of Boeing, we know how bad it's been over the last week and a half, Joe, or really more than, a, uh, what, a week? Week last Monday is when it really started falling out of bed. But take a look at Boeing versus Airbus. And this shouldn't come as a surprise. We see this whenever one of the airplane makers runs into trouble. The other one benefits, maybe not as much as you might expect, but certainly shares of Airbus have moved higher within the last week. Joe, back to you. Yeah, and if you love the Dow, you know, every point in Boeing, you know, hurts you on, on, the, on the Dow yep. side. Thanks, Phil. You're right. Now, BK, you were the first to, to text me that you were excited I was going to be anchoring That's tonight. That's right. So let me go morning. to you yeah. on, uh, it, was, it was early no, he on. So let me it. go to you. Uh, is, <laughs> Yeah, deserves it. Right, as wait. soon as I heard you were on, is I was the worst, immediately on my phone. So, it, so yeah. you can go ahead and take it away. Is yeah, the worst? You, Joe. You're Appreciate welcome, that. BK. So, is the, so worse still to come for Boeing? Actually, I don't think so. I mean, purely as a trade, we talked about this last week. It is holding up remarkably well, even though you still get bad news after bad news after bad news. So, I'm talking about this purely as a trade. Three months down the road, not sure what's going to happen. But you have three, 360 bucks as your support level here. If you get a hint of good news, just a whiff of it, you could get a real nice bounce off of this. So risk-reward-wise, I, I like it. And this is not something as much that ran. I like having you on. This was the poster child for China trade yep. deal. It was 290 so, in so December. I, I felt as if this one really ran in and should get a haircut coming out of that deal. It's already got the haircut, not from coming out of the China deal, right. but I agree with that level. 358 is a 200-day moving average. I do think that if it holds this level, but keep it on a short stop, mm-hmm. if this thing breaks down, 351 is the ultimate bail uh, level in Boeing. What did, did, what, you know, I didn't text you this morning. No, but, you didn't. But uh, nonetheless, I have a view on the stock, and, and <laughs> I, I think I'm actually very bullish on Boeing as a company, but I would be different than these two guys. I, I think it's a fantastic company. We know about the free cash flow. I, I have talked about their reputation and certainly their safety record. But in the short run, and based upon the history of how the stock has traded after the FAA has grounded uh, one of their airlines, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's, there's a two-month kind of purgatory period for Boeing that does not need to be chased, even though I am someone that is a holder of Boeing and I'm not selling shares here. I'm not jumping in here because I don't see why... Um, some of the good news and some of the things that we've talked about changed the story overnight. Now, Tim, you did get in under the wire, though. I did. It, 457. I, I, you did. I, I'm smart. You did. Anyone add up the, the market cap loss in Boeing and decide whether its exposure uh, could ever equal? Could it equal $40 billion? Well, if there's class action suits that come from this, could it? I, I don't know what that number could possibly be. And now if you're there was intentional to, fraud. And in now you're words. starting to hear about that. So I, I can't answer that question. What I will say is last week when it traded three or four days of 30 million shares each, that's remarkable volume for this. And I thought you put in some sort of capitulatory bottom. And here we are another six dollars or so lower. So maybe there is a new round of headlines that can come out. It's not that people are going to go change planes because the wait time for Airbus 320 is about five years. But now you have different headlines. And the only reason I was second to text you is because I was paralyzed with joy. And my fingers weren't able okay. to use right. the telephone. He did properly. it Friday, though. He, yeah, I wanted to stay away. When he knew. Stay away. So, all right. And when we had dinner on Sunday. Exactly. And, and breakfast. Anyway, coming up, uh, shares of Tilray rallying uh, after hours. The cannabis company reporting earnings uh, moments ago. We're going to hear from Tilray CEO about the quarter. Plus, Facebook tumbling on a downgrade today as the social media giant faces a cloudy future ahead. Uh, but we'll tell you why traders. Some, anyway, are betting on a turnaround. Much more uh, fast money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tilray up over 2% after hours on earnings. Aditi Roy is in San Francisco, uh, fittingly, and she will tell us what the CEO had to say about the quarter. Aditi. Hi there, Joe. Tilray reporting that its revenues more than doubled from last year. The company says that was driven by bulk sales, Canadian recreational legalization, and a ramp up in wholesale distribution to export markets. Total kilograms sold increased almost threefold, but the net loss for the quarter ballooned to 31 million in Q4 compared to just 3 million one year prior. The company is saying that that was primarily due to an increase in operating expenses, expansion of international teams, and M&A costs. In fact, Tilray has made some acquisitions recently, including hemp food producer Manitoba Harvest. In an interview with Closing Bell earlier today, CEO Brendan Kennedy said that deal, along with the passage of the Farm Bill, will help the company enter the U.S. CBD market before the end of the year. Obviously, with the passage of the Farm Bill, we acquired a company called Manitoba Harvest, the world's largest hemp food company. And when you think about retailers like Albertsons and Amazon and Whole Foods and Costco looking to put CBD products on their shelves, they're going to go with a brand that they know and a supply chain they trust like Manitoba Harvest, which was part of the, the, the rationale behind that acquisition. We think we can use that supply chain in the U.S. Uh, to bring uh, CBD products, hemp-derived CBD products, to market quickly. Some other highlights on Tilray's deal with Anheuser-Busch, Kennedy says, we can expect cannabis-infused drinks to enter the Canadian market by October. But when asked about why he's sold company stock, Kennedy didn't seem to have a clear answer, simply saying it's a very small portion of his ownership. Joe, back to you. I see. All right, Aditi, thank you. Well, let's trade uh, Tilray. Grasso? I, I think you got to own a lot of these names because it's like trading biotech for me. You don't, it, it's a very binary situation. So I own Canopy, which is up 70% year-to-date. I own Cronus, which is up 108% year-to-date. But Tilray, which was an outperformer, is a laggard this year. The trader in me would actually take a look at Tilray for a catch-up trade. Right. Oh. Mm-hmm. Tim, uh, no kidding? You on, moderated a panel like at South by Southwest. Come on, this is royalty. Uh, on you this are show. yuppie. You're uh, anyway, uh, it's South by Southwest. You are like a millennial. Uh, this past week with Acreage Holdings uh, CEO Kevin Murphy and former Speaker of the House John Boehner. I mean, what world are we living in? Uh, yeah, and he didn't cry. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a, careful with the name. Uh, here's what Boehner had to say about the legalization of marijuana across the country. When you see 33 states. Uh, approve the use of cannabis in some form, uh, it tells me that the American people are for this. And, uh, and, and members of Congress, other elected officials, uh, pretty smart folks, you know, when they find out that people are for this, guess what? They begin to change uh, their opinion as well. And so uh, Washington uh, has just been in the way. Anyway, in well, fairness, he's a golfer. And, I was going to say, so, probably so, out so that, they know that what, at 10 wasn't golf, it was fishing. Okay. Um, as he told me. But, but more importantly, let's, let's talk about uh, Speaker Boehner and, and what's going on here. The perception change in Washington, and he spoke openly about how he's had a change in view. I, I think that's a great sign of leadership. But ultimately, the perception change is leading to a legislative, uh, you know, essentially takeover of the country. And, and that's what this panel was about. It was talking also about how the States Act, which is legislation that could be coming in 2019, which will at a minimum, it won't change the, the, the story federally in terms of Schedule 1, 
but allow the industry to bank itself, which would be enormous in terms of profitability, start to sketch out a little bit how taxation is going to go. Uh, and then companies like Acreage, who are truly building brands and have a retail footprint. I mean, Tilray talked about what they're doing in hemp. Anybody that's in hemp right now can put this, this business on a national level. And then they can also be in the states that are legal. So uh, it was an exciting day. It certainly was a visionary, you know, kind of a day to, to it was, that's what the panel was to, to talk about the prospects for the sector. And frankly, I think the perception change in this country is the most important thing. Did you feel like a geezer? Kind of, right? Um, yeah. You know what? There were some older folks than me. It was a couple. Were, okay. But, All right. Uh, we got to go. I, I, I took a chance even saying that to you. I, I got to go. Coming up, uh, Facebook shares uh, tumbling on a downgrade today, but some traders are betting that the worst might be over for the social media platform. I will explain. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back uh, to Fast Money. Shares of Facebook feeling a heat today following a downgrade from buy to hold uh, by Needham. The stock now down nearly 7% in just the past week. Needham uh, turning cautious on the social media giant uh, as a ramp up in executive departures. Potential regulation and escalating privacy concerns weigh on the stock. Facebook uh, now down 26% from its highs and seeing the most hold and sell ratings on Wall Street this year since back in 2013. But one trader is betting the stock is gearing up for a turnaround. Mike Coe, also known as T-Bone, T-Bone, out in San Francisco to break down the options action. T-Bone, what's up? What's going on, Joe? Yeah, so we did see well above average options volume in Facebook today. It traded about two times the average daily options volume, actually. That means something because this is a name that trades nearly 250,000 contracts a day as it stands. So it traded about 450,000, so almost two times today. And one of the trades that stuck out to me was a good-sized purchase of the May 162 and a half calls. We saw somebody pay about $7.40 for 1,700 of those. That would represent about $27 million worth of stock if they got long the stock at those levels. And one of the things I would point out that other than just seeing this individual bet, which is betting that's going to be up at least 7% in the next 60 days, is that we have seen upside call premiums increase more than the downside put premiums. So it might be that as the stock has come in, options traders are thinking that one way they could risk a little bit less and bet on a rebound is to buy some of those upside calls. And we've seen a lot of them trading. Okay, Mike, uh, thanks. For more uh, options action, check out the full show uh, Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim. Nice job tonight, Joe. Google, we talked about this. Pressures in the stock price. BK. Still like that oil trade? OIH, that's the way to play it. Grasso. Square, I'm still long. Interesting price action here. Lower 70s, you're a buyer. Bye. I'm going to see you in 12 hours on the big screen. I can't wait. Thanks for being here. And at Darko Petroleum. Joe. You're on tomorrow? No. Oh. He's going to watch. He, some people watch. Oh, I don't know what I'm you sorry. do uh, in oh, the morning. I, Thank I, you. I, you I, all. I, you're I, all very welcoming. Thanks for the text. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.